Welcome to the Hidden Orchard Podcast. On this podcast, we will explore the deeper concepts and the intersection of Jewish wisdom, the New Testament, and science. We will bring you fascinating insights from the ancient and modern sources, all with the goal of improving and getting the most out of life. Visit our website at thehiddenorchard.com to subscribe to our newsletter and get more information like this. Now, today's episode. A friend of mine recently undertook the study of the Hebrew word often translated as faith in English. His findings shed light on how a seemingly small misconception can have a massive implication on one's worldview and how they practically live that out. Yet, when we try to define the word faith, we find it somewhat prone to misapprehension. You know you're off to a bad start when the popular English dictionary gives you eight different meanings. How can such a critical concept be so obscured? If we group those eight definitions, we land in about two different categories. They can all kind of subdivide into two different categories. One is a belief in something despite lack of evidence. And the second category is belief in doctrines or theological frameworks. Let's explore how these miss the mark and how we might better understand this elusive concept of faith. The Hebrew word translated as faith is the word emuna or emuna. Emuna shares a root with the word uman, which means craft or skill. It also shares a root with the word amen, which in this light some might understand as a kind of a punctuation or a declarative statement at the end of a sentence, like indeed. A more functional translation for emuna might be faithfulness which begins to show a divergence from the popular understanding. Emunah is action-oriented, and this is not an uncommon feature in the Hebrew language. We see many words with this kind of dynamic structure to it, one of which is the Shema, a prayer, but it also means to listen and obey, not simply listen. When we conceptualize faith as mere beliefs, or doctrinal beliefs, if you will, it leads us down a very different path. Often, this is observed when one arrives at a certain understanding of an idea and locks it into place. This is, in fact, the purpose of a statement of faith, and you'll find this on many websites for churches. It's a unifying set of beliefs that require consensus for one to join a community or a church congregation. Normally, these ideas are rarely reevaluated, if at all. Little uh, story. Years ago, when I worked in a church, we were editing the website and we were making it more search engine friendly. And a pastor and I went to the Statement of Faith page and we changed some words and we made things a little bit more friendly for Google. We landed on a product we were pretty happy with until we got the proverbial call to the principal's office where we were told we were not to touch the Statement of Faith page. This page was the work of the elders and it took weeks to get to a consensus of every single word on that page. So Statement of Faiths can actually be very complex, even though they seem very simple. And I think this is the outcome of translating the word faith as doctrinal beliefs. However, emuna is an ongoing developmental process. It's not content to sit still. Emuna is something that needs continued dedication, kind of like a craftsman continually honing their skills. On this idea, the 19th century scholar Rav Hirsch writes, to define emuna as faith is to empty the term of its true content. Belief is an act of the mind, sometimes only an opinion, Through this, religion has been divorced from life and converted into a catechism of doctrines and faith slogans required for admission to the hereafter. 
I think he highlights the problem. But in a simple sense, Imuna is also a steadfast conviction of something that is true. It's not based on mere belief, it's based on reality. Given his heightened spiritual acuity, Abraham had the solid conviction that God would deliver on his promises, no matter how unlikely they seemed. There's a certain knowing to Imuna. This is also evident in the run-up to the events of the Exodus, when we're told that the people believed. They stood firm, recognizing that God had heard their plight and was working on their behalf as he dismantled the religious institution of Egypt. Though tradition tells us only 20% of the Israelites left Egypt, these few modeled that Imuna can also be quite demanding, requiring us to put one foot in front of the other toward a calling. Another dimension you might find in the more Sod or Hasidic teachings indicates that Imuna can also be described as a state of consciousness. In this understanding, Imuna is a kind of energy we can tap into, provided we are in the proper spiritual state. From this sort of flow state, if you will, we can more frequently maintain the awareness of the Creator. From here, we can begin to grasp that everything in the world is governed by divine providence, and it's done so for the greater good. As Rav Shalom Arsh states, without Imuna, a person is doomed to a life of confusion, frustration, and costly mistakes that could have been avoided had the person heeded Hashem's messages. Imuna is our best tool, if not our only tool, for attaining soul correction and completing our designated mission in life. This is what I'm talking about. Seeing Imuna in this state allows us to completely and radically change our worldview and the way we, we live our lives. This takes time to grasp more fully, but this is the nexus of action and conviction. This is what makes Imuna and faith, faith being defined here as belief in doctrines and faith statements, vastly different on a practical level. From Imuna, we can begin to understand our role and can properly carry ourselves in a way that glorifies the Creator. This is what is meant by the passage in Hebrews, Hebrews 11.6. Without Imuna, it's impossible to please God. And now we can understand how active work is very much necessary to uphold Imuna. As James says in James 2.17, Imuna without works is dead. So there's a cost to getting it wrong. When we live into the former definition of faith, we will find that our belief in doctrines will inevitably be challenged and often crushed by real life. To avoid this, it's not uncommon for people to develop resistance to anything that might cut too deeply into our doctrines we begin to avoid questions and those who don't believe what we believe. And perhaps worst of all, as Rav Arish said, we miss Hashem's guideposts and wayfinders along the road. With Imuna, we will grow to understand that the Torah's commands are the very methods by which we may tap into and develop true Imuna. This is what Paul meant when he quoted Habakkuk in Galatians. But the righteous will live in Imuna. Habakkuk 2.4 so Emuna is a critical component of the retelling of the Passover story, and most importantly in how we internalize this lesson in our lives. This is why the sages say we should leave Egypt in every generation. Heeding their words, the Hasidic masters ingeniously call attention to the fact that the word for Egypt, Mitzrayim, can also be translated as a narrow place or a place of constriction. Additionally, the word for sea, Suf, can be translated as end, sof. So we might put it together like this. Thus, no longer slaves to limitation and constriction, the Israelites fled, 
finding themselves at the end of their fortitude. From that place, they stepped out into Amuna, entering into the dynamic and timeless covenant with the Creator. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information like this, again, visit our website, thehiddenorchard.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter and look out for other articles posted there throughout the weeks. Reach out to us and let us know what you think of the show. Until next time, have a great week.